Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today, I am joined by Roberta, who has very bravely agreed to share her unspoken with us. Roberta grew up in Cork with three older sisters, a passion for all things sport and GAA, and a determination to give her all to everything she did, until sadly this determination led to disordered eating, binging and purging, and rock bottom. During our conversation, Roberta speaks to me about how she arrived to this rock bottom and the heartbreaking truth of how she felt about herself while there, but also about the power of asking for help and her journey to recovery that has led to her being the fun-loving, happy and content person she is today. Roberta, welcome to Unspoken. Thank you so much for joining me today for such an important and far-reaching, but often very unspoken topic. Take us back to the girl you were before your Unspoken began for you. Well, hello, Clona, first of all. It's so nice to be here. Um, I suppose who I was pre, you know, 16 years old was a very bright, bubbly girl little bit larger than life you know I was quite strong very athletic sport was the be all and end all for me um you know didn't really care what anyone thought of me I was never hung up on anything like food or weight or anything like that um so yeah just very bright eyed bubbly fun to be around and I was very happy in myself like so incredibly happy in myself and yeah just I suppose obviously I saw it a shift then you know around that time you know 16 years old and things just weren't really the same what led to that shift being honest I suppose I've done so much reflection on at this point that I would boil it down to the stress of the leaving cert number one um I was 16 in the leaving cert very competitive in school I had this mindset that I always had to be the best and like that was with me right the way from primary school I had to be like the best I had to be top of the class where did that come from do you think um I don't know. I suppose we were all, I have three sisters. I'm the youngest of four girls and I suppose we were all pretty good in school. Um, there's one sister, Kira, and she won't even mind me saying she wasn't, you know, that that academic um, and the other three of us were. So I suppose it was just more so looking up to my sisters, you know, who kind of sailed their way through school, got on really well. And I suppose I just wanted to make mom and dad as proud as the girls had made, I suppose. That was probably what it boiled down to. Mm. And uh, so... Came into my leaving cert year, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. I wanted to get top of the class. Like that was, there was, that was it. Like there was no two ways about it. I wanted to get top of the class. So as the pressure starts to mount and it was pressure just from me, nobody else. It was completely from me. Um, I suppose I started to pull back from sports, stop training and all that. And that had like such a detrimental effect on my mental and physical health, physical health, apologies. Um, so I basically just started to be really isolated, kind of pull back from socialising and from being with people, um, with study, study, study all the way through. And I suppose I started to very naturally at this point notice that I was losing weight and I get compliments from the girls and from family and all that, you know, that, oh my God, you know, you've lost loads of weight. And at that point, I have to stress, like it was probably stress related, but I wasn't intentionally trying to lose weight either. And I suppose when I was going through the leaving cert and towards the end of it, I felt so good. I was so skinny and uh, I was feeding off the compliments of people, you know, telling me that, oh my God, you've lost so much weight. Oh my God, you look great. And like, it was those compliments that drove me on to continue to be skinny. Yeah. And like, I have to say as well, I was very athletic, you know, very sporty. I was strong boned as Nana used to call me. Um, So I'd never really in my life been thin or been that skinny girl. And, uh, I just loved it. I loved being skinny. I was like, it was like I was reborn in in some weird way. And it's like I made a subconscious decision at that point that I was never going back. I was never not being skinny. And uh, it just kind of started from there and grew from there. 
when you say that I grew from there, what happened? So I would have started to, I suppose, develop disordered eating to begin with, and then it would have gone on to become an eating disorder. So I would have suffered with bulimia for a number of years. Right through my teens, you know, as I said, it was disordered eating from maybe 16 years old, and that kind of would have developed from when I was around 20. Um, For bulimia, I would say two years where I was actually binging and purging and making myself sick. But I suppose before that, there would have been, you know, excessive exercise, huge restriction of food. There would have been the use of laxatives. um, And yeah, it was just a very, very dark time. I suppose I'm just so grateful now that I'm in a position where I'm on the other side really healed it wasn't an easy journey but you know Mm. I am healed and it's nice to be now in a position like today where we can talk about it and kind of dissect it a little bit to maybe help other people who might be going through something similar yeah so when you say disordered eating what did that look like for you so eating in a very inconsistent way or in a very irregular way um I had a complete preoccupation with food so food now was just like all that I thought about and the way that I looked was all that I thought about um so disordered eating for me was I suppose it was really restricting my calorie intake on particular days so say for example if I was going out on a Saturday Mm -hmm. and I knew I was going to be wearing a dress for the seven days previous I would be really restricting my food I could even pull it back to 600 calories I would genuinely feel malnourished by the time the Saturday came around to go out and you can imagine what it would be like putting a couple of drinks into my body then it was just complete blackout like it was just a mess um but that's all I cared about was being skinny I didn't care about the fallout or if I did anything daft on the night out I just cared about feeling skinny and being skinny in my dress Mm. um, because to me at that time skinny was happy or skinny was beautiful and um, yeah so I suppose it was just a complete preoccupation with food Um, I mean I can remember when I was in I I had done I started off law and French in UCC um, after the leaving cert and I'd no reason really why I chose the course. I, I don't don't really know why I went and did it. Um, I suppose it was panic when the CAO came around and I ended up not liking the course, was very unhappy there, so I dropped out. And uh, I went working in a local restaurant that had just opened up at home in the crossroads. And I had this complete like paranoia that in those first couple of months in UCC that I put on loads of weight now it was just complete body dysmorphia I really hadn't like maybe two or three pounds max but in my head I was just gone really large and uh, this was still around the time of disordered eating rather than the eating disorder and I remember being like to my mom at home and everything when I was working I was like I have to have a thyroid problem we have to go to the doctor I was like I'm putting on weight all the time and she was looking at me being like you know Roberta we're happy I can take you to the doctor but there's no issue here like you know you're completely imagined at all and I was like no 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 we have to go uh so we went to the doctor and kind of following on from that I decided to join Weight Watchers so I was what like 18 at this point joined Weight Watchers all I cared about was going up on a Thursday morning to Mallow to get weighed in dad would take me up to get weighed in I didn't even stay for the meeting it was just about like going up and down on the scales mm-hmm. um so I think that like Weight Watchers actually got me into an even worse kind of cycle of binging and restricting um there was no purging at that point but I suppose all I cared about was on a Thursday morning being down on the scales and if I was even a half a pound down my reward was to go and binge like I could binge about 3,000 calories I'd wake up the next day Cloda and I would literally look in the mirror and be like what have you become why did you do this you were half a pound down yesterday why did you do this and it would go back to restricting 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 back to 600 calories um and yeah so just like a complete, completely negative relationship with food. Like food was nearly the devil. Um, I didn't want to have to eat it. I knew I had to in some way, shape or form, but I didn't want to have to eat it. And it was very difficult to be around as well at times. Um, So yeah, the disordered eating was just like complete, I suppose, restriction, uh, complete irregular and inconsistency with food as well. So at this point, were you still getting compliments from people about your your weight or were people starting to become concerned? No, I definitely was still getting compliments, especially from people that you mightn't see as regularly as others. I suppose there was a bit of concern probably at home. You know, mom was like, Roberta, you've no weight put on. You look great. And I suppose the girls would be the same thing at home. You know, dad, kind of everything just flew over his head. But my sisters were always like, you know, Bob, you're you're 
thinking this all up in your head, you know, you look great. Um, so yeah, I was getting compliments from people, you know, friends and all that who were like, God, you're, you're looking great. Like you're so thin. How did you do it? Like, what's your secret? Um, whereas yeah, there was definitely a little bit of concern at home. I can tell just from the way that you're talking about it, the downward spiral that it was, that it started maybe with you restricting your calories, you know, a little bit, but that it really got into this dark eating disorder territory and probably quite quickly for you. Were you hiding these behaviours from your family, from your mum? Definitely, yeah. I think I was putting on a brave face all the time. And as I said, I was so heavily involved in sports as well. And we didn't spend a whole pile of time at home either. And I think that's really important. I mean, I was in school every single day after school study and then we were gone to training in the evening or we were gone training or playing matches at the weekend so I didn't have a whole pile of like one-on-one contact time with mom and dad and I know that sounds crazy you know everyone spends time with their parents but we were genuinely such busy teenagers and such busy kids you know that Mm. they were they didn't have that time to just keep their eyes on us all the time and see what was what um so yeah like I definitely put on brave face all the time I didn't at any point believe that they were getting worried about me um I mean they weren't questioning that much at that point um obviously later on when it became a full-blown eating disorder I know that mam definitely was way more in tune with what was happening she was looking she was really looking out for it because she had seen signs um I mean when I was in the midst of the eating disorder like I at home where I would have got sick at home or purged at home was always in the same toilet. So basically it was because there was three doors that you had to go through to get to that toilet. It was at the very back of the house. So you had to go through my parents' bedroom door, go through their ensuite and then into the bathroom. So I had the ability to turn on the extractor fan to put on the electric shower. And basically it was like nobody could hear what was being done inside. Um, And I suppose mam got really wary that I was coming home kind of earlier on a Friday and I was doing this so that I can get my binge in and I could get my purging on the Friday. So mam kind of started to come home a little bit early on a Friday. Um, she was just really aware now that I wasn't that bright bubbly girl anymore when I was coming home from college. I didn't really care about, you know, filling them in on the week gone by and, you know, what was what was going on. I was just like, you know, going down, having my shower and going to bed saying that I had no energy, that I was exhausted. I was really exhausted from just what had happened, which was binging and purging and from restricting my my calorie intake for the whole week long. Um, so yeah, she started to ask me like to leave the door open. Would you mind leaving the ensuite door open? Um, I just, maybe if I want to go in and out there or the, the walk-in wardrobe uh, door open, pardon me. Uh, I just want to go in and out and do a bit of clothes or do the ironing and hang them up and stuff. So she started to clue in an awful lot more, but I suppose like any mother, you try to tell yourself that God, you're seeing things, you're putting two to go, two and two together and getting seven. Um, and, but yeah, she was seeing the signs. It was, it wasn't just until much later that I finally opened up to her. Mm, you said there when it got to full blown eating disorder, what was that time like for you? Very, very dark, um, very numbing. I mean, I didn't really know what to feel. I couldn't feel at all. I was just in this very dark place. It was this cloud was over my head day in and day out. Um, And that's exhausting enough. But then it's obviously even more exhausting having to put on a front and basically coming out and acting every single day, pretending everything is fine. Um, And obviously, like my body physically wasn't in a good place because so many years of like under eating and just restricting and obviously putting it through purges and stuff like that. So I was just really physically unwell, really mentally unwell, so genuinely exhausted. And I was just so numb. I didn't know what to feel. Um, and it was very isolating as well. Like, I suppose I became very paranoid that people knew my secret. Um, and one thing that I was so conscious of at the time as well was I just didn't want to become the girl with the eating disorder. I mean, I feel in Ireland, we can often be really quick to just place a title on somebody's head, you know, one minute you're Roberta and then the next minute you're, oh my God, the girl with the eating disorder, she's the one that has bulimia. And I just... I had worked so hard to build my identity and to to let my personality be known over the years previous. And I was like, I can't let that be stripped. So I just, every inch of my being and every last bit of energy that I had left in my body was put forward to just acting like everything was okay. Mm. So you really wanted to keep this secret from yeah. everybody in your life. Yeah. 
yeah. gosh yeah. and I I can really imagine how exhausted you were you keep saying that I was so tired I was so exhausted of course you were trying to hide this huge part of your life from everybody yeah and that's the thing nobody knew so it's not even as if I could go home and just be me you know mm. and and cry and have some support because obviously it was my choice at the time I I didn't really feel like I had a choice really I didn't want to open up to anybody I was so embarrassed I was so I felt so ashamed of what I had become I felt so ashamed that this had happened to me mm. um you know the girl that everyone knew was being bright and bubbly and intelligent and all these different things and she's now become a girl who's suffering with an eating disorder and unable to tell anybody so I was just basically running away from the idea of people knowing what was really going on because I didn't want my identity to be stripped from me. I just wanted to remain the same girl. I wanted to be Roberta, the Roberta that people knew for the years previous, you know, not this girl who was completely and utterly just like taken by something who was now just after losing control. I didn't want to be that to anybody. So I know you shared that this all kind of started when you were 16. Where are we at now? How old were you when it kind of got to the really dark days when it got to the really dark days when I was like taken hold of by the eating disorder I was 20 21 I would say I hit rock bottom when I was 21 so obviously you had like five years of being so totally consumed by food and weight and body image and five years of like paranoia building and building and building that people are going to find out about you um so it wasn't just you know a couple of months of exhaustion this was like five years of exhaustion and constantly feeling like people were going to find out something about you that they didn't, that you didn't want them to find out. Um, and five years is such a long time. Yeah. 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 Crazy. I'm just even like now when I, what's happened in the, in the past five years, I'm just mm. like, it is, it's such a long period of time. And yeah. there's a part to me even now, I'm just like, I can't believe that I let it go on for as long as I did. You know, I'm very in tune with myself, so self-aware. Um, I'm very transparent now. I mean, I hold back nothing, I'm probably negatively at times because like if you want your opinion I'll give it to you <laughs> um so yeah I'm so transparent now but I suppose yeah I just at times still I'm just like it was such a haze I can't believe that I went through it all um but I, I'm just so grateful that I'm on the other side of it I mean I never want to go back to those days they were so dark you describe so well what that period was like for you you know having that dark cloud constantly hanging over you and hiding this huge part of your life from everybody were you hiding parts of yourself from them too definitely yeah I wasn't my most authentic self and it's funny now because I really feel like I know who I am and I think that that's come with years of healing and doing so much work on myself journaling meditation you know spending time with myself and starting to love who I am again um so I definitely was hiding parts of myself and probably people pleasing at times um you know even, you know, last year I gave up alcohol, for example, and in college I would have just like drank myself into oblivion all the time, probably trying to feel something and just like engaging risk taking behaviors just to feel like literally to feel didn't feel anything but trying to. Um, what were you so, searching for? What were you hoping to feel? Hoping to feel happiness, sadness, guilt, disgust, regret, any kind of a feeling, any kind of emotion that I could cling on to. That's all I wanted to feel because I couldn't feel anything at this point, Loda. I was just so, so numb. I mean, like somebody probably could have died that was really close to me and I probably wouldn't have even shed a tear. And that's a massive statement to make. But like I can remember even being over on holidays with three of my sisters, sorry, two of my sisters and my mom. Um, and my nanny was sick at the time and we basically got some bad news over there. And we were in the middle of a shopping street and... Uh, mom just put down the phone and you know it was cancer was back and the three of them were absolutely bawling crying on the street and I just kind of stood there and I was just like it was just like another day goes by like it didn't affect me and like I had such a close relationship with my grandmother and at that point she was still alive but we just had really bad news that you know the end was in sight and it yeah. was going to be soon um but it just it was like this rock this shell like just no emotion and I can actually remember my mom saying to me she was like you're stronger than the other three of us yeah and I was like, if you only really knew, <laughs> like yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't, it was just, I wasn't able to feel at that point. I was completely numb. Gosh, why do you think you were so numb? Honestly, 
I don't know. I think I was just so numb because I was so, I was just so taken by the eating disorder. It just took hold of me completely. Like nothing else mattered in life. Um, and when you're so taken by something like that, it doesn't really give you room to feel. I don't think, um, you don't really get to feel the highs and lows anymore. You're just on this, like this constant conveyor belt of just one emotion right the way through. Um, so I think it was just the, the ever consuming nature of it all that just wouldn't allow me to feel. When you were in those really, really dark days at the lowest point, what was life like for you? At the very darkest point, I was binging and purging up to three or four times per week. Um, So that would have meant me, you know, overeating or eating more than I would have wanted to. And then going to the toilet, purging it and making myself sick. Um, And on the days that I made myself sick, I mean, there was no way I wanted it. There was no morsel of food being left in my body. So I would make myself sick excessively, excessively, excessively. Uh, My whole face would be puffy my eyes would be bloodshot um and this could be either in college or it could be at home and you've come down the stairs after being inside in the bathroom for maybe the past hour and be like you know pretending god i'm not feeling well and sorry i am a celiac so you'd be like god i ate something that didn't agree with me today or i must have got poison somewhere I ate today or making up all of these excuses and like just pretending that there's something else at play here you know that just completely pretending that you're actually not, you're not suffering from an eating disorder, like nearly lying to yourself at the same time. You know mm, what I mean? Like really unable to face reality like entirely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just so exhausting. I mean, constantly so exhausted, constantly paranoid. Um, sleep was completely disrupted as well. I mean, had the craziest dreams all of the time. I used to have this constant dream of like my teeth falling out and it was the same thing over and over and over and over. And uh in this dream I'd be cradling myself and my hand would just come out and just loads of like my teeth would fall out with blood coming along with it sorry for the graphics but I had this recurring dream over and over and over so you can imagine how tormenting your waking life was then to have to go to sleep and have to go through the the entire thing again Mm. you'd wake up every morning like you weren't refreshed there was never a time when I woke up and was like today is a good day it was just the cloud was there constantly um and it was such a painful time how did you feel about yourself during this part of your life just so genuinely ashamed and disgusted at myself yeah just so ashamed that I'd come to this that it had come to this and that I'd lost myself along the way um ashamed that I was pretending to be okay as well um and just really disgusted at myself I mean there were so many days where I would look in the mirror and just be like you are disgusting like what have you done on days where I would binge and purge I would literally look at myself in the mirror and tell myself I was a monster or I was disgusting the negative self-talk like the self-loathing was just it was so painful to like looking back now I'm like how did you ever talk to yourself like that Roberta Mm. um but of course it was just the time it was it was what I was going through at the time um And I'm bigger than that now, obviously. Yeah. What was the turning point? The turning point for me, um, it was a Friday evening. I was after my week in college. I had binge and purged, I would say, probably every day that week. It was very, very low. Um, I was coming home and I left it really late in college. I can remember the same day. I'd binge and purge on the Friday. All of the girls were gone from the house. I had my dad's car and I was just going to go home really late because I had to binge and purge. I had to get the food out of me that I had binged on um, before I went back home because I knew people would be in the house and I wouldn't be able to do it at home. So something just came over me. I don't really know what, but I text a friend to see if they were at home in Cork I was in college in Limerick and they said yeah no problem so I drove straight from college up to their house and I just opened up about everything and like that didn't shed a tear nothing I basically just words coming out of my mouth I have been making myself sick I'm suffering with bulimia um my friend didn't know what bulimia was at the time so it was like this whole explanation process as well describing what I've been doing daily and they just couldn't believe like they just couldn't believe it. And we would have been really close. So imagine how frightening it was for him to be like, I thought I knew every inch of you, you know, to mm. for you to be going through this and me not know. Um, what led to you phoning him and saying I'm coming up and just blurting this all out? Genuinely, Claude, I have no idea. In 
probably just a moment of madness. Like that's all I can boil it down to was just something in me clicking to say that this is not okay. Just a moment of madness to say you cannot live your life like this any longer. And had you been thinking or had you been contemplating this? I someone? had a little bit. I definitely had been. Um, but I'd always pull myself back from it. I had always pulled myself back from it. Um I have to say that this friend was like such a safe space for me and had always been such a good support and someone that I really enjoyed being around. Mm. And I think knowing that they would be so non-judgmental about the whole thing, like I knew that even before I ever sat down and blurted out everything I needed to say, I knew that it was just going to be so much kindness, so much, so much love and just, you know, I will help you through this kind of thing. I knew that was going to be the outcome. You know, I didn't doubt that for a second. Um, so before I left their house that night, they were like, you know, you have to promise that you're going home and you're telling your mother, like, tonight, there's there's no more waiting here. And I made that promise and what kept was it like? What was it like to, to hear him say that and to say, okay? I think there was just acceptance straight away. It was like, right, I've taken the first step right I've told you what I need to tell you now you're telling me to go and tell my mother and because I respect you and because you've always been such a support for me I'm doing this I'm going to do this no problem because I've now promised that I will do it Mm -hmm. um do you think there was a part of you that knew that would be the next step yeah definitely yeah and I think probably in that hour and 20 minutes down from Limerick to Cork of course everything was going through my head probably a million times over and I had probably like deciphered what the sequence of events was going to be me telling my friend I knew that there was going to be a next step and at this point as well Claude I was just so numb so it's like I didn't even care anymore I was just done with the whole thing I was so numb didn't know what to feel um so I got home and my dad was in bed my sister Emer was at home and my mom was there and we have two sitting rooms. My mom was in one sitting room and I was, which is kind of like the communal area of the house and uh, I was like mom can I talk to you for a minute it was late at night now it was maybe 11 o'clock half 11 there was a part of me hoping she wasn't going to be up so I'd have an excuse not to tell her until the morning and put it off but she was up everything happened for a reason and I pulled her in and I was like I have something to tell you and being honest the fate like the look on her face I knew automatically that she knew that there was like she knew that there was going to be something big in this conversation we just sat down and she caught my hand and I told her everything I was like you know I've been so from bulimia it's been going on for quite a while and she just started bawling crying like literally gates opened she was bawling crying she'd probably like she was probably holding back so much as well at this point because she had seen the signs and Mm. she is a nurse um she'd obviously treated people in a clinical setting obviously around eating disorders as well over her career so she knew that it was a very difficult road and I mean that was one thing that she said to me right away she was like it's not going to be easy but you will get through this and did you believe her I did I did believe her I did believe her um She's always been brilliant for every single one of us, always such a rock and would have done everything for any one of us at home. Um, and I knew now, you know, with any mother's love and care behind you and their support, I knew that I could get through it. Um, it So much happened on that night, like so much happened on that night. It's like I became more aware of what was happening. It's like a little bit of the fog lifted um, and I could kind of think a little bit clearer now. Obviously, my thoughts were still negative and they were still hard to be around, but I could definitely think a little clearer. Um, So that night she asked if she could tell my sister, Emer, who would have been around the house a little bit as well. And she was like, just for an extra support, because if you're having a bad day, if you really want to, you know, binge and purge, she was like, just go and grab Emer and you'll go for a walk or she'll go for a drive with you or whatever you need. So we did that. We told my sister, Emer, and then it was just our little secret. For the next eight months maybe wow yeah um and I started going to a dietitian at the start and we got like basically up to date with the refeeding process what it was going to entail and was basically set out what foods I was going to be eating over the next while and that was an incredibly difficult part probably the most difficult part of the whole thing was the refeeding process and it's amazing now because I love food and the idea of waking up to breakfast in the morning I'm just like oh amazing (laughs) um but back then I was just like I used to do this thing where I would go as far into the day as I could without eating Mm. and then I'd eat when I was about to fall down basically so having to get up in the morning and eat breakfast was absolutely excruciating for me um I had to eat like it was like a feeding schedule basically so I had to have my breakfast a snack my lunch uh, a snack and a dinner and it had to be the same time every single day and remind us of where your food what your like your eating habits were 
at that point just before you started yeah yeah so my eating habits were now at like complete restricting of foods so carbs absolute no no I mean I wouldn't allow myself to have salt because it caused water retention I didn't want to look puffy I wouldn't allow myself ketchup or sweet chili sauce or any of these things because they were they were added calories that I didn't need right um I was so restrictive around food I was only allowed some chicken beef was too high in calories um you know I just it was just a complete just a complete restriction of food um I'd only allow myself you know a certain portion of say fruit in the day maybe two because they had these added sugars and some days I'd only have you know three or four hundred calories other days it could be a thousand calories right um completely depending on the day and uh it was just a really really unhealthy relationship with food overall um and in your binges just before you started the refeeding process what would they have looked like a binge could honestly have been like three to 4,000 calories. That was me genuinely getting as much food into my mouth as I could. And that could be within like a 10 or 15 minute period because number one, you might be at home and you're afraid that somebody's going to catch you. So you're going to gorge all of your food, anything that you can get into your system in that time. Other times, if you were at home on your own and knowing that you weren't going to get interrupted, you might have a binge and then you get sick and then you might have another binge and then get sick again. And it could even have happened three times. And that was if you were at home on your own and knowing that you weren't going to be interrupted. But often you were in this fight or flight mode feeling that somebody was going to walk in and you Mm -hmm. just, again, paranoia that somebody's going to find out your secrets. So you would gorge food across 10, 15 20 minutes and uh, it could be three or four thousand calories whatever was in sight genuinely whatever was in sight would have been in my body so would you stock up or would you just go to the kitchen no just go to the kitchen and that was the thing it wasn't even something that you might enjoy it would just be like a case of just you just lost control in the moment and it didn't matter what went into your body you just lost complete control yeah so from there to the refeeding process where you had schedule what were you eating in those first few weeks yeah so in the mornings I as I still do uh was gluten-free porridge so I am a celiac gluten-free porridge um might have had like a banana in it and then lunch would still have been something light but we had protein and we started to add in more carbs so even it might be a little bit of rice or it might be even just one slice of gluten-free toast it was about trying to change my mindset of you know carbs aren't the devil it's about trying to change my mindset that it's okay we should be eating at these particular times because we are fueling our body by doing so Mm. like food had become the devil for me so now I needed to really change my mindset as to what food was um so like it the first eight months was absolutely traumatic like it was just so traumatic having to eat this food at the particular times that had been set out for me um but then it started to get easier it just started to get easier I started to you know, not dread the porridge in the morning. I was looking forward to it. I suppose your body calibrates, it kind of comes back to life and um, things become a habit. And uh, I was starting to feel hungry again and started to feel a little bit excited about food again. Um, It definitely didn't mean by at the end of the eight months that I wasn't binging and purging. It was just less rare. Um, Now, I was seeing a psychologist as well at the time that was, uh, she specialised in eating disorders. So I was seeing her weekly. Um, and like I can remember for the first maybe seven or eight months I felt like nothing was happening like I genuinely felt like I'd be pissed off coming out of the appointment it was my mum taking me up every week my dad thought we had a shopping problem going up to Cork City every single week he was like they're off again <laughs> didn't matter what evening of the week it was and uh, he knew nothing so it was obviously difficult for mum as well um, and I'd come out of the session after the hour feeling like Oh, he just got nothing from it. Like, did we actually just pay another however much money it was? It wasn't my money, it was my mom's money. But did we actually just pay that amount of money to come out for me to feel like this again? I was just annoyed. Like, I was like, this is crap. Like, I should be feeling something by now. But I suppose our generation and we're kind of quick fixes. We should be seeing instant results. So I think that's what was in my mind. And it's just weird. I just felt a shift happen after about eight months. Um, I started to feel a little bit lighter on myself. And I mean, in terms of my mood, not in terms of my weight, I started to feel a little bit lighter on myself. Um, I would notice myself feeling emotions. So I would notice myself if I was smiling and I'd catch myself mid-smile and be like, oh my God, you're feeling happy. Or, you know, I could feel myself even watching a movie and, you know, I might feel a little bit of sadness or well up a little bit. And I was like, again, I'd catch myself in that moment. I could feel myself coming back to life, like the numbness was shifting, the cloud was shifting. Um, I still had like very difficult days and very difficult weeks after that eight-month mark, but like, Once that first eight months was up, there was huge shifts. Like there was massive, massive progress made. I'm really, really struck by 
you saying, you know, the refeeding process was traumatic. That was the word you used, traumatic, and that you were pissed off going to session after session after session. What kept you going throughout that time? Honestly, the night that I opened up to my friend and my mom and my sister about what was going on, um, I just felt like a lot was kind of taken off me at that point. A lot of the burden, not, not a lot of it, but some of the burden was taken off me at that point. And as I said, I could just see a little bit clearer, like my vision was a little bit clearer. And I made a decision that night that I was getting better. And if anyone knows me, you know how stubborn I am. You know how if something needs to be done, I'll get it done for just sheer willingness and sheer determination. I'm just that kind of character. And because I had made like I had made that promise to my friend, I was telling my my mom, I had made that promise to myself that I was going to get through it. So it's like once I make a promise, I will see it through. Um, and I just knew that I just I couldn't go back to the way things were. I, I genuinely could not go back to the way things were. And no matter how hard that refeeding process was or no matter how traumatizing it was, I knew deep down that I could not let this be the way that life was going to be for the rest of my life because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have got through life that way. I would not have been able to endure life as it was for another couple of years. There was no way. Mm. Sounds like there was just this inner sense of knowing that I just have to do this. Yeah. 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 Is it okay to ask why you kept it just between you and your sister and your mom? Yeah, I'm really struck by you not even telling your dad or your other sisters. Yeah. Um, I suppose I just was so conscious that I wanted to get through this and I wanted to get through it without the interference of other people and often you know you could tell a sister and maybe they'll tell their boyfriend and maybe the boyfriend tells somebody it can it can very easily get out right and I was just so conscious of that and so wary of that and I said I'm happy to tell my sister Emer, but that is it um like I would be so so con or so so uh close with my sister Kira but she was in Australia at the time um really funny story I'm actually just going to tell you really quickly but she was like obsessed with like psychics and mediums and all that at the time and she went to one at one point and she basically said your sister is going through a really tough time at the minute she was like she's suffering from an eating disorder and Kira was like fobbing it off laughing it off being like no way Rocha, not a hope so she came home months later and we were gone for a walk in Donald Park and she was over in Australia for a few years at this point going for a walk in Donald Park at home and she was like telling me all about her psychic experience. And she was like, and you know, the funniest thing she said to me, she was like, your sister has an eating disorder. And she said, it was you, definitely the one with the strawberry blonde hair. And I started laughing and she was like, what are you laughing at? And I was like, I did. I was recovered. I was, you know, healing at this point, but yeah. I was like, I did. She had no clue. And like, we were on FaceTime to each other all of the time. Yeah. Nobody had any clue. And I just wanted that to remain the case. Now I did. Um, I had really great, group of friends down in college and um, people who I was living with and I suppose they started to see how badly the eating disorder had taken me over because I would have lived with some of these friends in first year college and I suppose into second third year and fourth year college things were really really bad like they were super bad and you could see a massive change in me as a person um, and they knew that there was something wrong so I suppose I was so close with them and I let them in as well. I suppose that was a conversation I had with Mam, um, but that wasn't for a couple of months after I had originally told Mam and Emer. Um, and they were brilliant support as well. Like, because obviously it was two different lives, one at home in Cork, one mm. down in college, Monday to Friday. Mm. And, you know, Mam was so true in what she said. She was like, I can only help you at the time that I'm with you. Or, you know, when I pick up the phone and make the conscious decision to pick up and say, you know, I'm I'm struggling at the minute, Mom. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. do that all the time because it was a burden on Mam too. So she was so right in, in saying that I had to have or that she would like if I had another support system. And it was the best thing I ever did was telling some of the girls down in college and they were so brilliant through it all. Um, and just really understanding, non-judgmental again, and uh, really just kept it a secret and, you know, made that promise to keep it a secret. And I trusted in that, I did. Mm. Were there times that you fell off the wagon during that first couple of months? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I was getting better. I mean, the binges and purges were becoming more sporadic, um, less regular, uh, but they were definitely still happening. Um, and I could have a bad day or I could have a bad week where I could go back to that cycle of, you know, three or four binges in a week. But I could now recognize what I was doing, know that it was so wrong and know that, right, Roberta, 
you just need to, you know, chat about this in counseling next week, or you need to just forget that this ever happened now, wake up in the morning and have your porridge as normal and let's start again. Like I, I could take myself into the space where I could rise above it a little bit. I mm. had that power now, um, but I still lost control. Definitely. I still had bad days, bad weeks, um, but ultimately they were becoming less regular. You said there, control, the word control. And I'm wondering if you ever got to the bottom of where all of this stemmed from. Yeah, um, really good question. So the psychologist that I was seeing um, boiled it out all down to control, the need to control. So I suppose some people might take their need for control out in, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. For others, it might show in alcoholism. But for me, it was bulimia Um, the need to be in control. And it's so funny because it's like you lose control to have control. In, in the whole process. Does that make sense? So I lose control and binging and purging in order to be in control of what I'm doing. And I know it sounds crazy, but that was basically what I was doing. Um, and I can still see it now. It's still something I'm working on constantly is this need for control. I suppose I can find it hard at times uh, to live in the moment. I kind of need to have a plan. I need to be organized. I kind of hate being caught on the hop at times so that's like all boiling down to this need for control and I am I'm trying to be a little bit more free-spirited but it's coming and I'm, I'm working on it constantly um so you know that need for control is still there it was just so bad at the time that it was brought about as a result of the, you know it was brought about in or manifested as an eating disorder whereas right now it can just be difficulty with um difficulty with kind of sporadic things or unorganized things it can be difficulty with that um and yeah so it's funny all losing control to to have control sounds crazy what was the trigger that led to you needing that control in the first place I don't know I was diagnosed with celiac when I was in leaving cert at 16 um and I suppose obviously it was a very traumatic time around the leaving cert anyway um due to stress and all that um so I think I probably felt like I'd lost control due to being diagnosed celiac and I'd kind of been feeling unwell obviously and I'd lost control a little bit around the leaving cert as well you know what I mean um so maybe it was just feeling like I had to gain back that control I don't really know it's not something that I've probably pinpointed just yet and maybe it's something that will come to the forefront in another while Mm. um but yeah, I do think that the diagnosis of celiac and the stress of the leaving cert and feeling like I was kind of losing control around that time was maybe a trigger. So where are you at now? Where am I at now? I am very happy in myself. I have a brilliant relationship with food. Uh, didn't happen overnight. It was a whole process of years, not just, you know, those eight months, not just the year following. It's It's been a whole process. Um, I am so lucky now that I get to, you know, be around food all the time. And I love working with food, love recipe creation, content creation, all that. And I suppose that was a hobby that I always had from, I was literally, you know, a young girl and I always had this dream of owning a cafe and everything else. And I suppose I wasn't able to to enjoy that hobby when I was going through something like this because I couldn't have trusted myself around baking and and all of the ingredients and all that so um it's just amazing now to feel like you've come full circle and that you are just really happy and healthy in in where you're at um I am still maybe doing a little bit of soul searching I suppose I've I really feel like I've come into my own in terms of finding out who I am And I've done that for a whole host of different reasons, but I feel like I've really been shaped by the experiences of the eating disorder and what I've come through. Um, I genuinely believe that everything happens for a reason. I'm very spiritual. I believe there's a higher power at play. I feel maybe I had to go through what I did, you know, to be a shining light for other people and to have experiences like today where we can talk about it and, you know, be a guide for somebody else or help somebody else through a difficult time. Um, So, yeah, I'm just really enjoying a healthy and happy and wholesome life I really am and uh, really mentally in a good space um, I am suffering a little bit of long COVID with the past year and a half but I mean I've made such strides over the last year especially so uh, once I continue to see those strides I'm a happy girl um, and yeah I suppose I'm just really hopeful and and I can see such a bright future I can, I can dream again I can do all of these wonderful things again you know mm. um, and it's so nice to just have a clear head and not to have any cloud or 
or any fog over you um, and to actually see the world for how it is and to be in the company of people you love and to really be present and to be really, really there, you know, mm. because for five long years, I just like, it was all a haze. It was all a blur. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It was just like going through the motions. Um, so it's just so nice to feel like I'm really here, like, you know, living life. Uh, I can see the world around me for what it really is. Do you ever worry that you will fall back into it? It's a really good question. Honestly, no, it's never really come across my mind. I think I work so hard to get to where I am now. Um, I didn't go for a quick fix. You know, I wasn't just, I just didn't want to stop myself purging. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to get myself fully healthy and fully well and to work through anything that I needed to work through. Um, so I don't, I, I genuinely don't worry about that. Obviously we have some intrusive thoughts at times. I think every, every single person, you know, across Ireland, probably across the world has these intrusive thoughts where you say, you know, God, I don't look great today or, and I have to put on a little bit of weight or God, I look awful in the stress. But now I can recognize them as thoughts and let them pass by and rise above them and be like, cop onto yourself, Bertie, you look gorgeous. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I now have the ability to do that and just let the thoughts go by. Um, and that's, as I said, come as a result of a lot of hard work. Um, so no, I don't have any worry. I really don't. And that's not to say that it's never something that I'll, I'll struggle with again in the future. I really hope that I don't, but I do know that I have built up such a resilience now and such nearly a, a toolkit in me that I don't think that it will happen to me again. What do you see now when you look in the mirror? What do I see in the mirror? Genuinely, when I look in the mirror, I'm, I always give myself a little smile. Um, I've read so many books and listened to so many podcasts around positive self-talk and all these different things that every time I look in the mirror, I'll give myself a compliment. Um, there's definitely days where you're giving yourself a compliment, even though you don't really feel it deep down. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy with who I am. Uh, I can celebrate my body for what it can do for me and, you know, how it can teach yoga and be so physically active. And I really am grateful for all that it does for me now. And like, I'm just so grateful that I get to fuel and nourish my body in the way that I should have been doing for all those years that I didn't do. Um, and it's just nice now that I can, yeah, I have a full appreciation for my physical being and I never had that before. Mm. Well, I am so grateful for having you here and for you sharing your story so bravely and so openly with us today thank you so much not at all thank you for having me it was such a pleasure to to chat and I do hope that it helps somebody who needs it and I think that's the point of of sharing our experiences is that there will be somebody listening who needs to hear the story today so to anyone who is listening um who needs to hear the story and who may be caught in a cycle that is, you know, restrictive or in a, in a negative place around self-image or, or any of that. Um, just know that there are so many people who've got through it. I've got through it. And when you make the decision to get better or you make the decision that you will get help, things will get better. If anyone wants to find you to ask you who that psychic was in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Or to, to reach out or to, to touch base with you, where will they be able to find you? Yeah, of course. So you can find me over on my Instagram. I share all things food and yoga and mindfulness at Bobby by Roberta Har. And I would love to hear from you. Pop me a DM, an email or whatever it is. And I would love to hear from you. I would love to begin today's exercise with these beautiful words by Brian Andreas, as they echo so closely the learnings I hope to bestow on you today. There are days I drop words of comfort on myself like falling leaves and remember that it is enough to be taken care of by myself. And this is exactly what I would love to help you to do today, to take care of yourself, to comfort yourself, to soothe yourself. When we were younger, many of us never had the tools or guidance to deal with difficult emotions. We never learned to understand our sadness or anger. We weren't taught how to calm our anxiety or soothe our frustration. Instead, we learn to distract and avoid, to tune out unpleasant feelings with numbing or sometimes destructive or unhelpful behavior. But no matter the habits we created and learned in our younger lives, we can learn to cultivate the skills of self-soothing now. 
through meditation, we learn how to calm our emotions and nervous systems. We learn self-acceptance and self-compassion. We learn to tenderly be with whatever arises for us or within us, rather than running from it. We learn how to care for our own hurt through self-soothing. Through this medium, we can be loving and gentle with ourselves and to hold and comfort our hearts and soul. So give yourself this gift and allow yourself space to feel and time to heal and to become your own source of soothing comfort. Let's practice together. Close your eyes, wherever you are right now. And if you are seated or lying down, take a moment to gently relax your body into the safety and comfort of the space beneath you that is holding and supporting your body. Slowly connect with your breath. Slow, deep breaths in and out, feeling the rise and fall of your chest and the beautiful way your body is responding to this stillness. Place one hand on your heart and the other on your belly and take a moment to lovingly connect, coming home to yourself. Take as long as you need here, pausing my voice and soaking up this moment for as long as feels comforting and soothing for you. And when you are ready, I invite you to silently repeat these words after me. May I be safe. May my heart feel peace. May I accept myself just as I am. And again, receiving each of them with a kind and open heart. May I be safe. May my heart feel peace. May I accept myself just as I am. And one more time, slowly savouring each word. May I be safe. May my heart feel peace. May I accept myself just as I am. And now gently returning to your breath, rest in this loving, comforting space you've created for yourself. Let your breath continue to welcome and soothe you. Allow your inhales and exhales to soothe any worries, fears, weariness, sadness or pain. Very simply, very lovingly, allow the breath to arrive on the inhale and very gently float away on the exhale. Take as long as you need here, again pausing my voice and soaking up this moment for as long as feels comforting and soothing and safe for you. And when you feel ready, Fill up your heart and lungs one last time with loving kindness and then slowly let your awareness return to the outer world, hearing the sounds around you, wriggling your fingers and toes and whenever you are ready, open your eyes, thanking yourself for the gift you have just given yourself, a gift you can return to at any time. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at the wellness psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial.